This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 KYNO. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. And this hour is being brought to you by the Fresno Association of Realtors. And we have a goal, and that is to provide really good information to our listeners so that you can make great decisions uh, about your home buying, home selling, or home keeping experience. And um, the, the beauty of this 13-year-old show now is that we, well, we have over 4,000 members. And on top of that, we have about 1,000 affiliate members. Affiliate members would be loan officers, pest control operators, uh, home inspectors. And so we have lots of wisdom and, and information and experience to draw from. Today, a couple of days after Thanksgiving, and I, hey, by the way, I am thankful for the opportunity that has been given to me by One Putt Broadcasting and by the Fresno Association of Realtors to do this every week for over 13 years. So today, to help with that wisdom, experience, knowledge, we have Jeremy Rolfe, who is a loan officer and the branch manager of Movement Mortgage here in Fresno. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Um, so that people get to know you a little bit, what, what are you thankful for this Thanksgiving weekend? I am very thankful for my family, that everybody is safe, happy, and healthy, and my wonderful team at work. Uh, that we get to work together to help people get into the homes that they're looking to, that they desire and deserve. So, All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. Here's a little something else about Jeremy. And uh, you are a, you, you've done a podcast and it's on YouTube. And I think it's called, uh, How Long Will This Crazy Market Last? It, it, and we're, we're going to get into that deeper into this show. But um, what made you do that? It was, I started to record videos of answers to common questions that I would get. And I would find that with any of my clients, they always want to know, should I buy now? Should I wait? What is driving this housing market? They're trying to understand. Um, and I wanted to just be able to put something out there because I remember you know, when I was buying my first house, I wanted to know everything. And people I feel are so hungry for honest knowledge. At least I was honest knowledge, not sell me something. I just, just, will someone please just tell me the truth? And you're not alone, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Right. There are a lot of others like me that want that. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, can you just be a genuine person and tell me the truth? And so if, if someone was uh, looking for that, that is what I was looking to provide. And so it's been good. I've started to do more videos for clients and my contacts. And so uh, it's, hopefully it's beneficial. All right. And I did watch that one. It, uh not only gave me a lot of information, but it piqued a lot of, a lot more curiosity in me. 
it's like, wow, I'm going to have to think that issue through. Mm. You know, we'll yeah. see if this Jeremy guy's right or right. wrong. So, yeah. So uh, I, um, I would encourage people to, to watch that. Mm. You know, it's one of those things where you don't want to put your just, you know, what your opinion is out there. I always like to back up what I'm saying with facts and charts so that people could see for themselves what data we're drawing on and maybe even make their own interpretation. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, all right. So today's show really is, is perfect timing because last Saturday we did our road trip around the U.S. housing market and we had four real estate experts um, on the street, practitioners uh, from let's see, Colorado, Tennessee, Maryland, and Florida. And the amazing thing is all four had the same conclusions or the same uh, thoughts that we have here in the Central Valley of California. And that is that the number one issue in our market right now is lack of inventory. There's just not enough homes to to take care of the demand from the buyers there is um uh, a lot of them thought well gee and the reason why is the low interest rates and that's something we can talk to more you as a loan officer are certainly going to help with that and and so here you are today as and that's what we're going to talk about so i want to start it off with the question of with our supply and demand out of balance, there's not enough supply, a lot of demand. How did we get here, Jeremy? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, in short, you know, there was, you know, I, I started off with uh, a chart on this uh, going over the last 40 years of the privately owned housing units started. And what you'll notice is that, of course, it's one of those charts where it goes up and down. But you'll notice that out of, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008, and so on, we had a huge drop off of housing units being started simply because everybody was upside down on their house. People were, you know, being foreclosed upon and so forth. There were not uh, the amount of housing starts being developed that should have been in the wake of the 2008 crisis. Nobody could get financing. So uh, that challenge uh, was there. The housing units aren't being built, but guess what? People are still getting older. And so we found that people who are the millennial generation are four times the size of the baby boomers. These millennials are, and they're all looking to buy houses right now. But at the same time, you don't have the demand that, or excuse me, you don't have the supply that is kept up. And so now that all of these folks are coming of age where they say, hey, I'm in my late 20s, early 30s, what have you, we need to buy a house and that it's it's just a reflection of demographics of where they are in their lives they need to buy a house the demand is there 
but because of the economic collapse as a result of the crisis in 2007, 2008, the housing units were not built. So now everybody is playing catch up. And the most recent data we have, I'll just put a cherry on top of that. The most recent data we have, we have 800,000 uh, housing starts as of the month of September, uh, but only 9% of those have even been completed. The rest of them are under construction or they just signed the purchase agreement. So they're trying to build, build, build as fast as they can to catch up with it demand, but there's a lag time. And so. And, and when you say they, they stop building, that would obviously be the build, home builders. Home builders. But, uh, you know, you, you just don't quit selling or, or working for no reason. So what were the reasons why home builders could not, would not build? Uh, simply because the, the market conditions weren't favorable. Uh, number one, financing was difficult to obtain for new housing starts at that time. Number two, the uh, consumers, we were in a, you know, the, we were on the brink of an economic collapse and folks could not get financing. Uh, lenders were scared to lend. And so, you know, when credit stops, that pretty much stops the economy. I like how you just put that. When credit stops, and I now I've been doing this business for many years, and I remember the I'll call them normal markets of the '90s, where you know everybody knew this is what it took to qualify. Uh, you know, you you got to have a certain credit score. You got to have your debt to income ratios in pro proper proportion. And then along came the 2000s, and with new loan products. Uh, such as all the adjustable rate mortgages, no money down. Then they come out with no documentation required. You didn't even really have to prove that you had an income. Right. You just had to tell them you had income. So, uh, and I remember somebody told their lender, yeah, I make $10,000 a month. Oh, great. And what do you do? Well, they were an assistant manager at a mini mart. I really don't think they made $10,000. Although, you know, looked at some of the prices in that mini mart and maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and then along comes the, the financial collapse and boy, did they just turn off the water spigot. It went from fully on to fully off. Then it would lighten up a little bit, but Oh, the documentation that was needed, the proof the there was, you, you had to have a plus to get a loan. Let's say in 2008, 2009, no a minus. Right. And, um, just a few years earlier on a grading scale, I'm going to say you could have been D minus right. and still got a loan Yeah. with no money down Yeah. and no documentation. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Well, you know, I think that the mortgage industry, uh, at least in the 20th century, has really evolved quickly. Um, what I find with our industry, whether, you know, the uh, government-sponsored uh, enterprises, uh, Fannie and Freddie, were uh, placed into conservatorship by FHFA now, 
and are being regulated in that way. And that's a result of, you know, reckless behavior on those, on those two entities. <clears throat> if we take people back in history for just a moment, uh, by, uh, before 1934, uh, when uh, the, uh, I can't remember the name of the act offhand, but in 1934 uh, is when the 30-year fixed mortgage was first introduced. And before that, if people in America wanted to buy a home, they had to put down a 50% down payment and finance 50% of that through an interest-only loan that would have a balloon payment at the end of five years. And so the idea was that you would be paying the interest only while you were saving money to either satisfy the balloon payment in five years or refinance again for another five-year term. And so what would, at the end of five years, when someone would get a house and they would be facing that balloon payment and they would have to come to a decision whether they could afford to pay it off or if they could requalify for financing again to have another five-year term. And it was not something that people, it, there wasn't a lot, it wasn't making the market move as much. So what the federal uh, government tried to do was to create a loan program with a 30-year term, essentially saying, hey, you know, you are, you know, say in your 20s and you are uh, starting off in, and working in life. Well, at that time, the expectancy was that you'd work for 30 years. And by the time that you've worked for 30 years, you would retire. And you, by that time, you'd have a paid off house. Wouldn't it be great? And so, you know, that is how the mortgage market moved so that we have 30-year fixed mortgages now. Well, what happened in 2008 is that they were giving mortgages out and Fannie and Freddie were securitizing them even using subprime loans. And so what we had to do was, uh, you know, place them in conservatorship so that they weren't able to make these kind of risks that could affect the whole financial system. And that's where we got to from there. Okay. And that pretty, that made the builder stop building as much because, uh, it was hard to sell because of the difficulty in obtaining financing it was difficult for the end users to obtain financing and if you have if you're trying to sell something that you don't have buyers for you're going to go under and so that's that was that was place you know yeah that was something that was affecting them so builders had to scale back big time correct and with that we're going to go to our first commercial break but stay tuned to welcome home radio 940 kyno Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and we're talking with Jeremy Rolfe, branch manager of Movement Mortgage. Now, you said something interesting earlier uh, before the show started, and that is uh, you moved from Los Angeles to the Fresno Clovis area. Right. What, what, first of all, what part of Los Angeles were you from? Uh, I was born in Tarzana in the San Fernando Valley, 
and I grew up there. And uh, my wife and I uh, were, or at the time, my girlfriend, uh, we were living in um, Playa Vista. Wow. And uh, yeah, and I was commuting from from Playa Vista to my office, which was in Chatsworth. So that was quite a, a drive each way. I know the area well. My, oh. A lot of my family lived there. My father was right next. To, he was in Encino, right next to oh. Tarzana. Yeah. So uh, and, been there many times. Yeah. No, it's it's nice. It's fairly nice. It's it's. Um, my wife and I, uh, we have family in Clovis, and so every Thanksgiving we would be going to Clovis, and we just really liked it. I love Clovis up here, uh, the whole Fresno area, and we thought, you know, it's still three hours away from Los Angeles, so it's reasonable, and we just love the community, so we decided to put down some roots here. Great. And you just, um, I didn't even have to ask you for it, but you just did a plug for why should somebody buy and, and live here in the Central Valley. So thank you. Ah, oh, I love it. You know, you know, one of the things that got me was family. The other thing was I was driving with uh, our family up Villa one day, and we passed by Anlin Industries, and they had a big sign out front that says, Clovis means success. And I thought, I can't believe that someone would put that out in the community like that. Any company that would put a message like that out in the community, I said, this is where we need to be. This is a good place. Mm-hmm. These are good people that would say such a thing. This is where we need to be. All right. That, that's great. And um, I remember I had a client one time who moved to South Carolina. And they said, they showed me pictures of the home they were building there. He goes, look at that. We got five acres. We got all the square footage and it was all beautiful woods, you know, a little pond and it was great. And he goes, we can get all that for half the cost here in California. Um, a couple of years later, they moved back. I said, Hey, hey, what happened? I thought it was perfect over there. Well, our family and our friends are here. That's it. <laughs> That's it. And then he started talking about how all there's all the nice things about living here in the Central Valley, how in the same day you can go to the mountains and go to the coast. Uh, You can go to Yosemite or there's four national parks that you can do on a day trip from here. Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, there you go. You know, I'll tell you one quick story about that is uh, my cousin. Brandy moved with her husband, Stephen, and their children to Texas because they thought that they could have a higher quality of life in Texas. And they moved there, they bought a house, and after six months, they just couldn't take it anymore. They had to move back for two reasons. Number one, family was in California. And when you, you miss your family, you know, people mm-hmm. miss their family. And the other thing was the weather that you know you go to these other states if you're from california going to a place with much different weather is challenging and i would say the last thing is and this is i'm actually going to do another video on this so perhaps we could have another conversation but that is that the cost of living in these other states maybe taxes are less but there are other things that you have to consider when you move to these other states, such as thunderstorms, floods, hailstorms, uh, freezing rain. 
tornadoes, hurricanes, things that could rip the roof off your house, right? And so, you know, there are other costs that these that of moving to these lower tax states. I totally understand California's political climate's crazy, but there, there, there's other factors in play. Yeah, and of course we have to worry about earthquakes, but I will have to say in my entire life, I have never yet felt an earthquake. Hmm. And people say, wait a minute, you had to have felt Colinga. I didn't. Really? And how about the one that happened during the, um, the San Francisco Giants, uh, oh, yeah. the World Series? 1989. Yeah. Um, I saw it on the TV, but I didn't feel it in the chair I was sitting in. So, um, yeah. That's a big knock on wood right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Okay. So... Let's get back to, in the first segment, we talked about how we got here. We're, we're out, of, out of balance with supply and demand. What's going to be the solution? It's not going to be as simple as household items where they're just sitting there in the Long Beach Harbor, right. and as soon as they can unload them, we'll have them. It, it, we're talking about building homes in a state where there's lots of regulations, a lot of fees, it's, it's really not that easy to build a home. Mm-hmm. So what's the solution? Uh, the number one solution is to be prepared. I, you know, my wife and I uh, met and we decided to get married and have a family and we made the decision, where do we want to put down roots? Where do we want to raise a family? And we chose Clovis. In the middle of the... Um, housing melee i still bought my house for ten thousand dollars below asking price and i did it because i know what i'm doing this is what i do for a living and i also have had great mentors in my career but what i would say is the number one thing is be prepared um it is possible to get the house that you want right now it is possible because Although there's all this excitement in the media and sensationalism saying nobody can find a house right now, everything is crazy, prices are going through the roof, there's 50 offers on every single house, and this frenzy and this mania, if you put that on the media, it sells. It sells. People get wrapped up into it, but it's not the truth. The truth is, is that there are certain people out there that are saying, I need a house and I'm going to make this happen for myself and my family. Other people out there are going to get scared or just say it's not that important or whatever it is. But if you are a person who says, I need to make this happen, then you're going to do what it takes to make it happen. And you're going to talk to a good loan officer, talk to a good real estate agent who's going to be able to guide you. And if you want to make it happen, you'll be able to make it happen. So let me go to that um, part about talking to a good loan officer. Is that a good local loan officer? Or can't you just go online and deal with some big company out of Ohio? In my, that's a great question. In my experience, local is better for several reasons. Uh, number one, I've had 
uh, first of all, I'm licensed in eight states. And so I have uh, done transactions in Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana, California, Nevada, Arizona, and Colorado, as well as Texas. And I was, I was licensed in uh, 12 states before. And I just kind of pared them down. Here's I what I can say, tell you. I was going to say that sounded like more than eight. Yeah, I was. <laughs> uh, I was, I was. It was just too much for me at the time to keep up with all those licenses. But here's what I found. Um, when people would try to do a transaction and they would try to, you know, compare rates, maybe they had a lender where they were from, let's say in Florida, one is coming to mind, and they were trying to buy a house in California where I'm from. Well, simply the people in Florida, they didn't calculate the property taxes right because they're not used to doing transactions in Florida. It's a very different way of doing transactions when you're doing in one state versus another. And you, if you're going to be someone who's committed to doing transactions in multiple states, you really have to have a team that knows what they're doing. And I do. Uh, but generally, by and large, you want to work with someone who does this kind of loan in this kind of area all day long. And that's all they do. Because they're going to know the nuances and the ins and outs of how to get that transaction done. The second thing I would say is... Why you'd want to go with someone local is because the, someone local usually will have relationships and relationships matter because if the realtor who is representing the sellers is called the listing agent is going to have to feel comfortable that you or your buyers are going to be able to close the transaction smoothly. And so if that realtor, that listing agent that's representing those sellers knows you or knows your work or knows that it's easy to work with you and that you're not a pain in the neck and that you're going to do the right thing, your clients are going to get that preferential treatment and it's going to be a lot easier to get their offer accepted. Or if that person, maybe you can't, you're in a market, you don't know everybody, but you have the kind of loan officer and real estate agent that know how to make friends quickly because they do have a lot of relationships. It's going to make a big difference in how they communicate. Are they easy to work with? Do they know what they're doing? And are they going to essentially take your transaction and make sure that everything gets done on time so you don't have to fuss with it? Those are the main reasons right off the top of my head of why you want to use someone in your local market. Yeah. And in getting your offer accepted, you said it perfectly where local equals relationships. Um, yeah. Cause I I've had transactions before where somebody, the loan officer was somebody's cousin's best friend up in the San Jose area. And, and you know what, if they don't want to talk to you, they don't have to answer the call, the email or anything. There's no, ramifications to them um when it's somebody local and i know them hey i'm gonna run into them at the gas station the store and it's gonna be you know what you didn't call me back yes. what happened yeah so yep. yeah that's that's a big point we do have to go to our next commercial break but stay tuned to welcome home radio 940 kyno Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and we are fortunate this Thanksgiving weekend to have Jeremy Rolfe, the branch manager of Movement Mortgage, here with us. And he 
turns out to be a guy that studies the market, studies the data. Um, so you have a really good understanding of where we've been, how we got here. So that begs the question, Jeremy, where are we going? What's the future hold for us? Give us your forecast and I'll let you off the hook easy. A forecast just means you're eventually, you're going to be right. Eventually we don't know when, but right. whether you say the market's going to go up or down, eventually you'll be right. Right. Yeah. Well, when we look at data, you know, the, the number one thing about that is that it's in the past. It's a measurement of activity that happened in the past because you can't measure something that hasn't happened yet. So all we're looking uh, at when we look at data is what has happened in the most recent past. And, you know, from what the data is telling us, I mean, right now we have 379,000 homes for sale, which is up 32% from last year. So prices are sky high. People are saying, gee whiz, the neighbors just sold their house for X number of dollars. Maybe we could get Y number of dollars. Haven't you always wanted to move to such and such place, honey? Oh, yes, dear. Maybe we'll do that. And those are the kind of conversations that people in our community are having. And they're trying to figure out what they should do. What we're seeing right now with all that is people are buying the homes that already exist that are on the market. And people are buying brand new homes from home builders that have not been built yet. What we saw is that as of the most recent data, we saw in the last month that there were 800,000 purchase contracts signed. But of those, only 9% of those have been completed. The rest of them haven't even been started yet or they're under construction. Now, the millennial generation that is pretty much in their you know early to you know mid to late 30s right the older part of the millennial generation is 39 years old right now they're just the, the, this is just getting started so i don't foresee this changing for a long time because this demand for this market Yes, part of it is driven by interest rates, and there is data that shows that once the average interest rate dips below 4.5%, it creates a, um, uh, what would you call that, like a critical mass where it becomes a, a, a large segment of the population can suddenly qualify for financing to buy a house. Well, we've had that because interest rates now, you know, we've seen them, you know, as low as 2%, uh, you know, maybe some 1.99s in there, 1.875s, depending on the program. Uh, but now things have, you know, kind of come up to the 2 3% range. Still, people can buy a house. A lot of them are. But it's, it's really not that, that it doesn't tell the whole story. It's not all driven by interest rates. In, in fact, the data shows us it's driven by demographics. This is not going anywhere. I think, you know, from what we're seeing, we're going to see this trend going on 10 years into the future easily. So the question is, you know, do I time the market? 
the answer is always, you know what the answer is from all the top financial professionals out there. What do they always say when they say, should I try to time the market? What do they say? Don't even bother, right? Don't even try. No way. Nobody rings a bell at the top of the market. There you go. Or the bottom of the market. Exactly, Don. And that's that's exactly it. So um, with this, it's driven by demographics. People simply need a house because they're all coming of age at the same time. And the question that you should be asking yourself is, do we want to, where do we want to put down roots? Where do we want to buy a house? Where do we want to have investments? Where do we plan on staying for the long term? And just doing it. Because over time, that home price is going to appreciate in value. But if you get a 30-year fixed interest rate on that, your payment is going to be fixed. Now, let me ask you this question. Did you make more money uh, what do you think you're going to make more money 10 years from now than you do today? The answer is yeah. probably yes for most of us, right? Mm-hmm. If you ask yourself, am I making more money today than I was 10 years ago? The answer is most likely yes as well, right? So if you think, if a home buyer thinks they're going to make more money 10 years from now than they are today, but they know that if they buy a house today, their monthly payment is fixed, then no matter what, that house over time is going to be easier and easier to afford. It's going to appreciate in value little by little every year. And the historical data says that for Fresno County, home values typically appreciate at a rate of between 5 and 6% a year on average. So you can see that over time, you're going to make money. You don't need to worry about timing the market. What you need to do is start building wealth by building your equity and owning a home. You're making me think of uh, an individual who bought a home from me and I don't remember the year exact, probably let's say 1999. They bought it for about $100,000 on a VA loan, no money down. In 2005, they went to sell it and it was worth 200,000. And uh, so they took that $100,000 equity moved it over to another home that they bought for three hundred thousand mm-hmm. now they call me in 2010 five years later and it's like what do we do this thing's only, this house is only worth two hundred thousand he goes but and this is the point of the story he they had their priorities right he said we're not upset about this house dropping in value which I felt good about since I sold it to him right. <laughs> five years earlier. He said, because first of all, we got into the real estate home buying process with no money down when we bought the first one. So that rise in values was just transferred to the new one. And he goes, all right, so that got absorbed. But he said, you know, in the meantime, this has been a perfect family home. He said, we had our daughter's quinceanera here. We had, and, and, you know, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, we have the family over at our home. So that made it worth it. Now, the rest of the story is they took my advice not to short sale, but to keep it. And, and, uh, they, they're still in the home today. That home is probably worth 400,000 now. Now, remember they started this real estate gig with no money down. And now, and oh, and by the way, they paid their loan off. Hello. They, yeah. So uh, four, they, they are $400,000 richer and still 
had every Thanksgiving and Christmas at their home, their daughter's quinceanera. Yeah, that is what it's all about. Don't be short-sighted and say, oh, today my house isn't worth this or that. Think of appreciation, not in terms of dollars, but appreciating your home and what it means to the family and to everyone. Totally, totally. I mean, you know, the number one thing that I always tell my clients uh, when they're deciding how much leverage to employ, how much of a mortgage to get, I say, number one, what are you most comfortable with? But number two, use the bank's money as much as possible. These guys are giving you money at two, 3%. Gee whiz, take it, right? Because with your money, you put it in your pocket. Maybe you put it into some investments that are yielding five, six, seven, eight percent If the bank is gonna give you two, 3%, uh, you know, to essentially rent you their money to buy a home at two, 3%, Use the bank's money mm-hmm. and then and then you pay it off over time and you have an asset that's appreciating. The home ownership is the number one way that middle class folks in our country have been able to enjoy upward social mobility. They've been able to build wealth by owning their home. That's why we've that's why every home ownership is championed in this country cuz it lifts people out of poverty. It lifts people into prosperity. That's why they started the 30-year fixed in 1934. We were in the middle of the Great Depression. They the government knew we had to get something started here, so we became a nation of homeowners. They wanted to make it easier for people to build wealth. And that was the FHA program they started back then. That's right. Yeah. You got that. That's uh, right. Yeah, I, it's not that I was around back then in 1934, no, yeah. but I, I've heard tell. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. With that, we're going to go to our next commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio 940 KYNO. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and Jeremy Rolfe, of the branch manager of Movement Mortgage and a loan officer. I should throw that in there. You're just not an administrator. You're there on the streets. You're coaching people. Yes. And uh, let's say somebody just heard our little snippet of the song, put me in, coach, and they're ready to buy. So they go to you, Jeremy. How do you coach them? Well, the first thing I do is where I... I try to find out what the outcome is. What is the result that they want? And so I get some particular information about that. What area are you thinking about? What do you want your monthly payment to look like? What are you most comfortable with? Uh, How much money do you have to put down? If you have no money to put down, that's okay. We can talk about a down payment assistance program. There's lots of options available to people to buy a house. It's really, if you are making money of some kind, even if it's social security and disability, whatever, if you have had the income stream, or you can get a house. And so the, you know, it may not be the house that you're envisioning necessarily, or maybe it is, but the point is, in my view, there's really no reason why anybody should not own where they live because there's just too many options out there that maybe they don't know about 
that they can take advantage of to 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 realize the American dream of home ownership. And they just need to talk to a great loan officer who's going to be able to apprise them of all their options. Yeah. Yeah. So me me as a realtor, let's say I, I bring you a client and say, Jeremy, help these people out. They have limited down payment. What are some of the resources for the down payment? Well, um, if there's if they're light on the down payment, first of all, I will talk about my favorite program, which is the conventional loan. I love the conventional loan. It's a wonderful program. If people can qualify for it, it's it's it gives them the most options. But of course, qualifying for it, it's a very small box. Uh, second favorite of mine, of course, is FHA. Uh, you know, with now, with in certain circumstances, most like most often, conventional loan you can get away with putting five percent down. In some cases, if you can qualify for it, three percent down. With FHA, you can do as little down as three and a half percent. And with these down payment assistance programs out there on the market today, such as CalHafa and the Golden State uh, Financial. Uh, authority, uh, the Golden State uh, uh, Down Payment Assistance Program, people can get the the down payment assist uh, the down payment and finance that. Uh, in some cases, it's it's a grant. There's just so many things. There's so many ways that we have so many tools available that can get you into the home that you want. The main question that we are always asking and looking for answers to right away is what is this person's income? How much income can we qualify them for? Because that determines pretty much everything. We can deal with low credit. We can deal with not very much money to put down. But if there's no income there, that's the hardest one to overcome. You got to have income. Yeah, yeah. And credit. So tell it, what, what are acceptable credit scores? Most likely, uh, most, most of the time, you're going, all loan programs are pretty much going to require at least a 620 FICO score. Um, you know, now credit scores run on a continuum between 350 and 850. I, I think that, the, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have 800, 830 FICO scores majority people I would say or very many people have at least a 700 FICO score most people have a FICO score of 620 at least to 680 if you have a FICO score of less than 620 perhaps you've had a bankruptcy or foreclosure not to worry I've had uh, worked with clients that have had the same thing and you can come back from it and buy a house there's just different loan programs out there that uh, that can help people in different situations. Okay, let's say somebody's a few digits short of 620. Um, that sounds bad to say a few digits short. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, all right. Yeah, it's so, all right. No, yeah, so you're a little short. Yeah. You got a 590 score, so you're close to the 620, but not there. What, what should they be looking for to improve their credit score and how long could that take? So you wanna, you wanna make sure that whatever open credit lines you have, that you're making those payments on time. And if you're the type of person that 
can't remember to pay the, the bills on time or you got a lot of stuff going on, make sure that you set up automatic payments on a certain date so that way you can set it and forget it. The number one thing that kills most people's credit scores is not that they didn't have the money to pay the bill, it's that they just forgot. And and so- I fall into that category. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people do. And so, you know, and by the way, I would too, uh, which is why I put all my stuff early on on a set it and forget it. I know when I get paid and I know to send that payment a few days early so that it's never late. So make sure that you're paying your basic stuff on time. Even if you're, you have credit card debt and you have a balance on your credit card, just pay the minimum amount, but make the payment, make the payment. That's the first thing. Second thing is, is if you don't have much of a payment history or a credit history, you're going to want to build one. So open up a credit card, even if it's just for a few hundred or a few thousand dollars credit limit and put your gas on it, put your Netflix or your Hulu on it and pay it off every month. But you need to show a history that, hey, we've loaned so-and-so some money and so-and-so paid it back on time. The more credit history you have of showing good repayment history will put you in a better place to buy a house. And the final thing I'll say about that is over time, as you're building this, spend less than you earn and put the extra aside what? for the I've down never payment. i heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> on your house. <laughs> Spend less than you earn. Oh my gosh, it's hard in this economy, isn't it? But yes, I would say start with, if you can start with as soon as you get paid, take a portion of that money, keep it for yourself, put it in an account, and this is your down payment fund. It's going to take focus, but you can get there. All right. I'm going to share that one with some people I know very well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's this thing about DTI? I hear mm. that from lenders all the time. What what does DTI stand for? Uh, that's your debt to income ratio, specifically your monthly debt to income ratio. So let's just use round numbers really quickly and say, if you have a family that makes $10,000 per month, right? He makes 5,000 a month and she makes 5,000 a month. And so the monthly income for the household is $10,000 a month. And between the two of them, they have $5,000 a month in, uh, in you know, uh, car payment, credit cards, debts that show up on your credit report. Well, 5,000 divided by 10,000 is 50%, and that would be their debt to income ratio in that example. It's what we use, it's a metric that we use to determine if this borrower is over leveraged on a loan or not. Can they afford it or not? Because especially out of the whole 2008 thing, the last thing we want to do is get people in over their heads on a mortgage payment. And so that protects them from doing that. And being on the streets, working with buyers, I can tell you this. Most buyers are way more conservative than even your underwriter. Agreed. Agreed. People have lived through the 2008 thing. We've all lived through it. It was terrible. It was terrible. The worst feeling in the world is to feel like you're over your head on your house, that you can't go do something fun, that you're worried about money. No one wants to be in that position and no one deserves to. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's why I think good real estate agents, good loan officers can show people what options they can Uh, have for their house that they want, but at the same time, not getting into something where they're in over their head. 
Okay, that's great. And are those the three big things that, oh, wait a minute, there's another thing underwriters look for, time on the job. Mm, mm-hmm. what, what would that be? Well, usually, um, you know, we want to see two years work history within the same industry. Um, there are certain exceptions to that, but generally by and large, you're going to want to have that. And let's, let's face it, let's be honest. You're going to want to be working in the same job for two years, and you're going to probably need to be working in the same job for two years to even save a reasonable down payment. Because although down payment assistance programs exist, and theoretically they do work, and practically many cases they do work, let's talk about what actually does work by and large for most people. You're, you want to have more money down. And when you see a house that you want, chances are that a lot of other people want that same house too. It's a nice house. It's in a nice neighborhood. So guess what? They're going to have multiple offers. And who is the listing agent? You know, when they show offers to their sellers, the number one thing that they're asking in their mind is, is this person going to be able to close the transaction? And when someone is bringing more of a down payment to the transaction, there's a degree of comfort and certainty that the sellers feel comfortable going with that. So theoretically, can you do, uh, can you buy a house with no money down? Absolutely. People do it every day. But practically speaking, if it's a house that's in demand, you know, you're going to be going up against multiple offers. Your offer is going to stand out for the better, the more you can put down. Okay, and in, for the last 30 seconds of our show, I got a, a riddle for you. What is the most commonly used down payment assistance program? What is the most commonly used down payment assistance program? I would say mom and dad. Oh, man, you passed. You got it right. I, I was going to call it the pop loan. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. and use mom and dad, right? If you need to, there's no shame in that. It, you know, <laughs> use, a, use a booster. We all have needed one. All right. And that's called the gift letter. So, yes. yeah, that's how they do that. I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in today. And a special thank you to Jeremy for uh, giving us this information. Thank you, and we'll be back again next week. Thank you very much.